A cold brew, toes dug into the warm sand, and the sound of the surf crashing on the shore. There's no better place to be at than the beach. The world contains 372,000 miles of coastline. That's a lot of sand and a lot of stories. So how does pop culture portray those stories? What is so compelling about the beach? What do the characters who populate these oceanfront areas have in common? Tune into the four-part Pop Bonsai Beach set to find out as we explore beaches in Hollywood, documentaries, novels, and music in this summer's Beach Set. All right, Jay. New set, new rules. This time... We're talking beach rules. Here's what I want to know. What rules do people put on beaches that you absolutely can't stand or think are arbitrary? Um, gosh, that's an interesting question. Uh, so, like, okay, so I was at the beach, like, not too long ago, and um, one of the things that for some just... I don't really feel it's not necessarily a rule that 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 like the state or whatever implies. But one of the things I don't like doing is I don't like eating on the beach, and I don't like when people bring a bunch of food on the beach. Oh, this is like a, a um, personal personal pet peeve of yours. Yeah, just because I don't think there are any beaches out there, Jay, that are like no hot dogs on the beach. Get that fucking core dog out no, of your face. <laughs> And people had food and crap out, and dude, all the seagulls were doing is picking the food, and then like they'd pick at it, and then they, for some reason, they'd come next to us, and then like it would track like twenty seagulls, and they're all fighting over this bag of like Cheetos, you know. And I'm like, do you really need to eat right there? You really need to bring all your crap right next to the water, you know? There's picnic tables and stuff back behind. Why did you just? Keep your crap back there. That's a good point. I, uh, I in Japan, I live on the coast here. The beaches, uh, the coast is maybe like half a mile, uh, and nice. we have these seahawks that will come down and literally they'll hover over you. And if you're eating food like a donut, oh Jay, a donut, oh that's like seagull heaven right there. They spot that shit. Sprinkles? Oh, yeah. You got some sprinkles in the donut? <laughs> you gonna get attacked? <laughs> Especially they're colorful. They can see them like oh, high I get, up in I the see air. People, I see people get swooped on all the time, and it makes me laugh every time I drive by them. <laughs> I do like the. Great. Uh, I do a uh, humble brag here. I do like the sh- the shitty convertible drive top down on the coastline, and so I can just like hanging my arm out, listening to you know like some like Beach Boys, and then just fucking watching people get swooped on by seagulls, and nothing <laughs> tickles me more than when I see someone just getting attacked by these actually they're not seagulls these are sea hawks here so they're even like bigger birds like seagulls i'll fucking slap a seagull i'm very cursy today Jay. <laughs> and i will slap a seagull but a seahawk i want no part of it oh they gotta slap you back huh yeah they got those wingspans it's that wingspan they're coming in there <laughs> double slap 
Yeah, my things with the beach rules, I feel like uh, uh, beaches in California, it's, it's almost not even fun to go there. There's so many rules. You can't drink on the beach. You can't smoke on the beach. You can't take your dog on the beach. You can't beach on the beach. It's just, what can you do on the beach anymore? You can't bring your dog on the beach? That's weird. No, a lot of places in California are like no dogs on the beach. And I'm saying a lot. I don't know what the percentage of that is, Jay, but I feel like there's a lot of... I got... So I've had like one dog in my in my life where I was close to the California beaches. I took her out there, a little pug, and she took a shit because I, I got her out of the car after driving from Arizona to Cali. And immediately someone was like, get that damn dog off the beach, no dogs on the beach. As I'm mid-turd pickup. She just left it. I should have like, like okay. thrown yeah. a donut on that bad boy and just had a, uh, a Seahawk come and swoop it down <laughs> and just guzzle that dog turd. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Alright, Jay. You're about to start a perfectly good podcast. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Already. They're right out the right out the gate and start with the podcast. <laughs> hey Jay, are we gonna podcast or jerk off? Come on. <laughs> you know what that means. Those two obscure or not so obscure references to the movie Point Break, which we're gonna be talking about today for the majority of the podcast. But this marks the jumping off, the start of a new set, baby! Hey, man, you're on tonight. Man. Yeah, I am jet-lagged. Electrified. I am jet-lagged. <laughs> I'm back in my podcast studio back here in Japan. Uh, a little side note, I just got back uh, home from visiting the States for about a month. I actually got to see Jay in person. He's a tall drink of water. Mm -hmm. Tall drink of water, this mm -hmm. one. <laughs> what they all say. We went to a little <laughs> toy convention there in Tucson. It was funny. I met Jay in there, and I had never seen him in person. And I walked in. I'm like, all right. And I was looking at the wrong level of people. I was looking at, like, six-foot people. I was looking at my eye level was uh, attached to that. And then I wasn't finding Jay, and then I had to look up. I had to look up, and then I'm like, like, oh! It's, it's like NBA. <laughs> yeah, so we're starting a new set. Um, it is summertime, so we're going to be talking about what is iconic with summer, and that is beaches, baby. Oh, yeah. We're talking beaches here uh, to, uh, for these next four episodes. And we're going to do this by breaking down a couple of things within pop culture, because that's what we do here in the Pop Bonsai Podcast. We take a big theme, like hotels, or... Uh, Jay, help me out here. What's another big theme we do? Uh, the big uh, Lady Rockers? Lady Rockers was the last one. Yeah. yeah. And so we pick a big theme, and then we look at that through the lens of pop culture, which doesn't mean just watching a movie. It means reading a book, listening to some albums, watching a documentary. So we're doing all those things on this uh, four-part series of our beach set. We're starting off today with the uh, classic film Point Break, which Jay is going to introduce here in a moment. 
And then we are going to be watching the documentary um, uh, Dogtown, The Z-Boys, not to be confused with Lords of Dogtown, the fictional accounting mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. Uh, The Z-Boys. Uh, and then we're going to be reading the Alex Garland novel, The Beach. And then we're going to, of course, end our set with picking out a playlist. But this time, Jay, I'm so excited about this playlist. Beach playlist. The best beach songs to listen to when you're on the beach. That's pretty great. It's pretty great. You know, I only go on the beach like once every five years, but okay. I'll keep it. I'll, I'll keep it close to me so before we start talking about point break let's this is is the first uh episode in the set you you're not a beach guy jay it sounds like i mean i like it enough i just don't really go there very often and um yeah i don't know it's cool i like looking at it from afar i don't necessarily need to be like right there on the beach yeah because you're az boy you're locked you're landlocked yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can be like in a hotel looking over the beach, and I'm good there. I'm good with that. You maybe sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tides roll away. Perhaps me and Otis. Or you could be a tool song where California falls into the ocean, and then Arizona becomes the coastline. Isn't that a lyric in like a <laughs> tool song? That Youth Brigade what, had that song. No, there's that tool song where they're like. Um, uh, let it swim, let it swim, let it swim. Let it's like literally like one of the thing, lyrics in that song. Let it swim. And it's all about California falling into the ocean. They talk about Arizona becoming the 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 new coastline. Or <laughs> you got the rancid song, California fall into the fucking ocean. Uh... California fall into the fucking ocean. So you might be a one punk song away from being uh, coastline property, Jay. I'm I'm biding my time. That's true. That's true. Um, I love I love beaches, Jay. Uh, dare I say I am maybe a beach boy? Really? Oh, I grew up on islands. Born on in Philippines. Lived in Japan. Now I'm moving to Guam. Like it's in my blood, baby. I need to be. I need to be mm. next to the Pacific Ocean, and not that Atlantic bullshit either. I need the Pacific, the best ocean. Oh, that would have been a great intro for a further uh, podcast. Which ocean is the best coastlines? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love, well, well, here's the interesting thing to start us off with before we, before we start talking about uh, Point Break. What's better, being on the beach or the idea of being on the beach? Um, I think being on the beach, I, I think it does affect people. I think it definitely does something to you. Just the vastness, the the majesty of of the ocean. The vast uh, deferens of the beach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it it's pretty it's I, I mean, dare I be so cliche as to say it's kinda magical in it a is. sense. Uh, maybe dare I say majestic. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's something about it's kind of like the same equivalent of like staring up at like a really great like starry night you know where it, yeah, it, like it, it makes you like staring into the ocean from the beach makes you feel so small in this huge immense world and it really actually makes you feel the power of nature which is, i'm sure something we're going to talk about in this podcast today a little bit the power of of nature and the ocean uh, so you have that whole aspect of of nature's beauty and nature's power but then you also have this whole culture of 
the beach, right? The people who populate oceanfront real estate. And uh, like we talked about in our hotel set, the beach for most people is a destination. It's something you Mm -hmm. drive out to or fly out to or spend you know, a vacation at. It's a temporary destination. It's a temporary state of mind. And that temporary state of mind comes hand in hand, oftentimes with not having to work, getting some vitamin D, which we know just makes you more happy, and just salt water. Hmm. It's like the idea of the beach bum. The beach bum. I love the beach bum. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. I feel like Matthew McConaughey <laughs> has been in like four Beach Bum movies. <laughs> so those are, I mean, that's just a big kind of bro- our general views of the beach. Uh, Jay goes to it, finds it majestic, doesn't go to enough. I was born into it. I have some, I'm torn between whether I like the pop culture idea of the beach more than I actually like being on the beach. Um, so, uh, right there off the bat, we got a couple of things to, uh, discuss and move towards. Can I get Jay to go to the beach more? And can I, uh, internally look inside myself and and understand if I want to really be a beach baby, a beach bum? Yeah. Yeah. You know what you need? You need a beach crew. To like, you need to, uh, you need to get absorbed by like, uh, like a beach, uh, like, a, like a lost, type. like a lost boys vampire yeah, boardwalk yeah, kind of crew. You know what you need before you get a exactly. beach crew? You need a beach cruiser. What's that? <laughs> like a Woody, like a like a 1960s Woody or 50s Woody. God, that would be that great. would be ideal. That would We're, be ideal. That's definitely gonna come up in the playlist talk. <laughs> And I call it a Woody. All right, so Jay, what are we what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about the uh, nineteen ninety one uh, full length motion picture Point Break, directed by Catherine Bigelow, uh, starring Patrick Swayze, Kevin Academy Award winning director Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, for uh, Zero Dark Thirty, right? Or was it Hurt Locker? Oh, no, I thought it was Hurt Locker. Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. I noticed there was a lot of acclaim at Zero Dark Thirty too. Oh, maybe it's but... Zero Dark Thirty. You, you keep talking. I'll keep looking. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gary Busey, uh, Laurie Petty, uh, Anthony Kiedis, uh, the guy that was the uh, doctor in uh, Scrubs. Um, uh, do you, did you, Anthony Kiedis? Who's? Let me ask you this: Who's Keanu Reeves' partner in this movie? Jay. Well, Gary Busey. Oh, did you say Gary Busey already? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Yeah, I thought you put second. I thought you put Anthony Kiedis before Gary Busey in this movie. No, no. I wouldn't do that. Um yeah, oh, and she, that... did, she did both those movies. Academy uh-huh. Award for Best Picture, Best Directing. Oh, Jay, I don't know. Which picture won the best oh. It I don't know. Both films were pretty uh pretty acclaimed i feel like wasn't there a big deal when she was up against like her husband james cameron for avatar for like best picture and i think maybe she won it or oh did she oh i don't know i don't remember all right keep going okay anyway so um 
Oh, John C. McGinley was the guy that was in Scrubs, and uh, he was the captain in Point Break. Yes. So that, that's fucking fantastic. John C. McGinley does not get enough credit, man. He's so great in everything. Yeah, he can play like a really pissed off dude, like really well. Like he just like 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 just the the not necessarily brooding, but like the angry Rash. captain, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the angry boss, yeah, yeah, the yeah. angry, you know, angry uh, surgeon he, boss. Angry captain yeah. boss, uh, angry like uh, uh, platoon uh, person. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's he definitely needs some more credit. And it was but... the Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker won Best Picture in 2010 and Best Director. She won in 2010. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's great. She's a great, great director. So yeah, so we're talking Point Break, which I know you have a pass with Jay. This is one of your like, dare I say, favorite movies. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it when I, when it's on and I'll even sometimes it's just one of those things. I don't know if I just some, sometimes connect to it on different levels. And the fact that, you know, you're an outsider and you're, you're, you're being absorbed by this, you know, like we're talking about by like the, this group of friends or, you know, and, and, and then not only are you, are you being absorbed by this group of friends, but it's, it's changing your life. You know, it's changing you. It's, you're becoming a different person. You're, you're finding new things about yourself through these people. Um, and that's the part I really like about this movie. Um, not just the fact that it's, I mean, some people, you know, see like some, you know, B grade action movie, but there's so more layers to it. I feel. Did you see this movie in theaters when it came out? No, but shortly after. Yeah, yeah, a blockbuster rental. No, I, I understand what yeah. you're saying. Um, because you're a little older, so like, I I didn't see this movie till probably my teenage years, which was late '90s, and it came out in early '90s, um, and it still uh-huh. grabbed me right away. I was like, oh, this is a great movie, and I've watched it several times since, but not as much as you. And I realized in this rewatch that Point Break is one of those movies where I always catch the first hour, but always miss the second hour. Like the first hour I was like, why am I watching this again? I know it. I can just like pot on this. And then I, (laughs) I, I got through all that part and then I stopped it. There is a point in this movie in the middle of it where it gets slow enough that I feel like people stop it at or on the rewatch. Uh, mm-hmm. and then the second part kicks in and I forgot how badass the third act in this movie is. The third act in this movie is fucking amazing. They're like, <laughs> the action in there is, I was like, I forget what happens here. I'm like, and then I, for example, like, uh, in the third act when Keanu Reeves like is on the airplane and Bodhi jumps out to escape, he throws the, the guy out of the plane and stuff like that. I was like, I forget what happens here. I was like, oh, they should make Keanu Reeves jump out of the airplane without a parachute. But he's like, <laughs> oh, shit, he does. That makes perfect sense. And it's like, so I'm like, I, my palms were sweating. It's been so long since I've seen that third act that I was like, holy shit. Because I know how it ends. That That's very clear in my mind. The big, the big wave, um, the 50-year storm at the end. But there was a whole chunk of that movie that I might have only seen in its entirety two times in my life. And it's been many years. Oh, wow. So it was, it was a really fun rewatch on it so let me ask you what 
you, you know, you're saying when you were a, you saw it when you're a teenager, and what grabbed you about it? Like, what what well, drew you to it? I mean, at the time, I guess it was. Um, I guess when I was a kid, it was kind of a weird grab for that age because as a kid, I really loved action movies. But by the time I was a teenager, I was more into the uh, dark comedies or comedies or dramas. That's when you start you know, getting into in a, like I watched Train Spotting last week and it was fucking amazing, you know, like <laughs> you know that type of stuff. And so, in watching this movie again, I realized this movie is is pretty deep, especially the character of Bodhi. The character of Bodhi yeah. is so complex and so charming and so engaging that it's impossible not to love the movie. And everyone else in the movie is great. It's amazingly cast. But in particular, this watch, uh, I always liked Bodhi. I was always my favorite character. He's a real, you know, um, you know, Swayze, you're more of a Swayze generation than I was. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think some people are Kurt Russell fans and some people are Patrick Swayze fans. And I think, ah, so you think you can't be, I think you both, huh? definitely both. I am definitely both, but there is like, there's camps. There's like, for me, like Kurt Russell is like God. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, in the past, like eight years, you know, I've rewatched roadhouse several times and, um, uh, Patrick Swayze movies. And I'm like, God damn it. Patrick Swayze went too soon. Even too, uh, yeah. With Love to Wong Fu, I, I rewatched like three years ago. It's a great movie. He is such a good actor. In a movie yeah. that can be written off as like cheesy action dialogue, Patrick Swayze elevates to a movie about, well, it's a romance movie between uh, Johnny Utah and, and uh, I was going to say Brody. That's not it. <laughs> Bodie. Um, and so there's this romance in there that your post awakening uh, teenage mind won't allow you to see as a young male in the 90s. I don't think, you know, when you're watching this in the 90s and there's still like quite a bit of homophobia and you're raised a certain way and you're going through puberty and you have friends it doesn't allow you to see the romance between these two characters. And I'm using ro romance in a, a broad term uh, to describe the connection that these two have where they see themselves in one another and, yeah. and they learn from each other. They're better when they're working together and they respect each other. I mean, this is a, a romance for all ages, honestly. Um, and yeah, I knew that was in there. But I guess I never watched it with such an open heart to that since it came out. Because normally, since I, was, I watched it when I was a kid, and then probably most of my rewatches have been at, like, dudes' places where, like, oh, Point Break's on, man. Like, let's crack a beer and watch Point Break, you know? Which, again, is that bonding, that male bonding uh -huh. in a way uh -huh. that that's not in there. So um, I would... I'm spinning around your question. I would say that what attracts me to this movie, as you said, is the culture of this close knit group. Um, and this time I picked out a monologue from Patrick Swayze, 
after they realize Johnny Utah is a agent and they do that first height where uh, Johnny Utah sees them and they're sitting around the fire at night on the beach and they're talking about it. And the rest of the guys besides Bodie are like, I should have shot that dude when I, when I, you know, this and he, and, and Bodie talks about why they're doing this because the line of people in their coffins waiting to die need Mm -hmm. us. And that line never stuck out to me before. That monologue never stuck out to me before. But this time I was like, damn, that's that's pretty deep. And it sold them. It sold them all. Yeah. You know, when they were sitting there quitting, they were ready to give up. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, the, the, those, the, those people inching along in their metal coffins. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it, a it, it's, it, it's a testament to the passion of a philosophy whether it be punk rock or surfing or extreme sports, Bodhi's character is a testament to how passion conveyed through language can create movements and can create often this time cult-like figures, but also these Masonic Messiah type figures, I guess Messiah is the right word, Messiah-like figures that are able to push people beyond their own limits. He does it with Johnny Utah. He's done it with his own gang. And he does it to us, the audience. You can't watch this movie without wanting to go out and push yourself. Do something extreme. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, so dare I say, not only does it want to do that, but you kind of long for that person in your life you yeah. know sometimes you're like gosh i wish i had someone like that in my life and then sometimes you're like could i be like that to somebody you know like maybe i could be that person to somebody else you know it like it's somehow inspiring you yeah. know <laughs> no absolutely you're, you're dead on i think i think that is i'm a, I'm a teacher and i think when i feel most proud of myself are those moments where i can feel more like this is thing, but like the more like that Messiah type thing where it's like, Hey, I'm not teaching you, you know, how to use a coordinating conjunction to link two complete thoughts together with, uh, a comma that, yeah, we have to learn that, but also like you're absorbing something beyond that. And I think Mm -hmm. it goes, I've always been a real big believer in that, the thing that's missing with education is mentors. The idea of mentorship is out and mentors are out. It's all about curriculum and standards and that type of stuff. And here you uh-huh. have the exact opposite where Brody yeah. is teaching Johnny Utah about life and how to navigate it. When Johnny Utah throws that badge in the sand at the end of this fucking movie, it is it's like his his degree you know sometimes ah. you know we learning we always think about you get something from it not give up something but through brody's philosophy Bro, uh, i always want to call him brody uh Bodie's philosophy Bodie. johnny utah actually gives up something that he works really hard for in order to get to that next level 
it's almost like the reverse of what we think of with modern education and mentorship is that you have to get something from it. He gets something definitely, but he gives up what he conventionally worked for. Like he yeah. busted his ass to be top of that top of the, you know, the class and he's this young detective and stuff like that. And he throws all that out the way because some young charming guy shows him something else about life which he gravitates to. Yeah, yeah, he, the, which he you, he didn't know was missing, I guess, you know, un, until he found it, like found this philosophy but I, th I think a lot of those things that as he was meeting uh lori petty's character like like some of the things he was telling her i think were like truth nuggets you know i was talking about you know he, he he's the only thing he lied big time about is his parents died but yeah. you know when he was sitting there telling to saying, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm from Ohio. I've never seen the ocean. It's really affecting me, you know. And and I think, like, as he's portraying this undercover persona, he's actually, like, becoming it in yeah. reality, you know. Well, I want you to go into that a little bit further about this. I So this is the beach set. And so in the first act of this, this film, uh, Johnny Utah is, of course, an undercover agent in charge of um, – of figuring out who's doing these bank robberies, right? On this, this what, what is, what's the, what is the town? Is it, uh, it, what, what beach area is it? You know, I don't know if they ever oh. really mentioned specific. I, I gotta, student. I gotta look this up because we're talking beaches, but the question I want to <laughs> ask is, um, so Johnny Utah has his background as this like Midwest or middle of the country football player. Uh -huh. you know, um, who has a knee injury. And then, of course, we know as the audience, you know, a, a little bit of dramatic irony that he actually goes into law enforcement. Uh, but his past extreme sports endears him into the surfing crew who's all about extreme sports. And, but the idea of being extreme in everything he does, Johnny Utah, uh, with football at like a collegiate level and uh, police work at a detective level. And yet, as you said, he is entranced by the beach and this beach culture and the ocean. Because, as you said, these truth nuggets. And I do believe you are right. He is speaking from the heart, he lies about the specifics of his past but I think he's very truthful about his current feelings. So mm -hmm. I think we see that in a lot of movies about the beach, about how this, the ocean is this gravitational force. Um, so how do you see this play out in the movie? Um, well, as far as the, the, the being drawn to the beach, I, I think he's just okay. So let me start here. I think that the beach offers him uh, a lot of freedom that he didn't have in his life before. Like uh, I think a lot of his, I think he was, he was very much 
uh, like a control freak. Like, um, you know, he, he went to, to, to law school and in law school, there was, there was rules and there was all these things you had to, you know, you had to follow and thing, you know, after when you're practicing law, there's rules, there's regulations, there's, and I think he really enjoyed the idea of the beach representing like total freedom for him, you know, just like, even though it quite that, that intensity that, that he, he desired, but it also represented freedom of all these rules that he grew, that he had in his life. And um, honestly, I, I, I don't know. Go ahead. You're no, I, I think this idea of we think about th- th- there's only so much beach in the world, right? There's only so many coastlines, so many miles of coastline that we have in the world. And these represent the borders to the the unknown, the vastness okay. of yeah. everything. Right. Uh, so ge- geographic wise, it is a, a perfect metaphor. Beaches are a perfect metaphor when you're staring out into the vastness of empty space, right, uh, uh-huh. of, of possibility, of potential, of energy, where, you know, these waves are literally kicking things up and, and moving. Things. There's constantly an endless amount of movement in this great amount of vastness. And when we look at our lives and, we're, and when we're at any precipice in our lives, and we stare out into the future, and it seems so vast and so torrent that when, you, when you're standing on the shore of something new, a new revelation, a new career, a new romance, uh, it, it can feel daunting, but there is that tingle of excitement and pull towards it. So when Johnny Utah says, you know, like, oh, the beach is, is calming out here, you know, it really does seem like a metaphor for just like, uh, there's something out there that's pulling me here. Uh, it's coastlines are the boundary of something into the infinite, right? And you know, on old maps, they used to write at the end of the map, like, uh, here there be dragons at the end of old maps. Like, you know, you see dragons. You thought the world, you know, would fall off and there would be dragons. But this idea that for... S- for, before we mapped out the the world, you only could map what people had gone to, and after that, it was mm-hmm. the infinite, it was the unknown, it was the danger on there. And so, you know, when you look at um, Bodhi's crew, they really are like modern day pirates. You know, the world has been mapped, boundaries have been made, so you have to put push your potential in different ways. Johnny Utah tried to do that through football. He tried to do that through his career as a, 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 a law enforcement agent. But it's really Bodu comes in and gives him this lifestyle. And really, one of the things I love about this movie is the lifestyle that, that the, the gang leaves. I mean, that, that, so let's talk about that. I want to throw that, throw that to you because I'm just going to start talking over myself. But... What do you think about the lifestyle of this, uh, the ex-presidents, the Robert Robin gang, and how does that affect a young viewer of this movie? I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, that's essentially. I mean, when you're 
young, you're an adolescent. I mean, it's, it's admirable. Um, I mean, granted, yeah, they go and rob banks, but just the way they live their life, they rob the banks and then they just go where use that money to surf, travel the world and surf the waves. You know, let me ask you which, which scene or scenes in the movie do you find most appealing when it comes to beach culture? I got one. Uh, I can can tell you that right now when they were at Bodie's party and uh, that guy was like, and your balls, man, your balls are about this. <laughs> and then Keller Reeves just asking, like, just, you know, hey, what's the biggest wave? And and they all know. And, and that's when Bodie talks about the 50-year storm. But, yeah, that whole camaraderie right there is like. That house party scene is, like, one of my favorite scenes. First of all, yeah. that place is dope. Like, he's he's got a <laughs> freaking dope place right there. <laughs> Also, through this entire set, I'm going to, like, de-evolve into, like, surfer talk. I'm going to be like, no, that place was dope, son, bro. Um, It was so cool, like, how it was a very communal space where it was, like, if you're part of this beach culture, then you're a part of this apartment. Like, the, the culture of the beach was aesthetic in his living space. You know, it was all temporary. Mm-hmm. At one point, they talked about how the apartment, they had moved out of the apartment, and uh, beach front living tends to be pretty transient. One, because people think, think they can afford to live there. They move there. They realize they can't afford to live there, so they move. Um, and, uh, you know, so all these beachfront properties, unless you're really rich and you buy, like, a really nice property, but, like, apartments and little beachside condos, they tend to be pretty transient because everyone wants a moment in their life to live like that temporarily. Yeah. They want to yeah. be a part of that scene like we see in this movie. But to sustain that kind of living takes a lot of energy and a lot of money oftentimes, at least in the United, excuse me, at least in the United States. Yeah, I can easily see that. Um, and not just that, but uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm going from reading too much into this, but um, yeah, like how you're saying his place. And then it, you get the feeling like he just he doesn't trust anybody, you know, like just being there is, you know, like like when he sees Ken Reeves, he goes, he goes, hey, what's mine is yours, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and just that, that line is so it just reminds me of like. Do you think that's a so dig? So wise. Do you think that's a dig I, because of the Lori Petty? Because of his girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I thought, you know, I never thought that until I just saw it for this well, podcast. Again, the third act, like if you only watch like the first two acts and you turn it off or whatever it is, and it, which I had been doing for years, you you forget that third act conversation where Bodhi is talking about, she used to be my girl. Do you think I want to do this? We spend time together. We shared time, man. Because in the first act, you're like, are, have they just been really flirty? And like, we're meant to think they might have had a relationship. But in the third act, he establishes, no, like, we were an item and she likes you more than me and that type of thing. But uh, that does seem kind of like almost like a dig now where he's like, what's mine is yours, which even yeah. makes that so many so much more layered. Uh, another beach front scene that i really love is the football scene where uh uh johnny utah ingratiates himself into the ex-president's 
by playing a nighttime bonfire game of football where he's throwing these passes, he's doing everything extreme, and then he, great tackle, and then you, you think, like, his boy, bro, uh, Bodie's boys are getting on him, and he goes, no, nah, no, nah. you know who this is? This is Johnny Utah. And it was so, it's such a Ohio great... Ohio State Buccaneers. <laughs> it's such a great way to naturally progress the plot in that film. And this film does this yeah. so well so many times. It naturally progresses the plot in a way, even though these really extreme things happen and all that stuff like that. And I want to talk about one of these extreme things here right now. Have you ever gone skydiving, Jay? I haven't, no. I never thought I would ever skydive. I don't even like heights. I don't like being on top of a ladder. But I did skydive in Topo, New Zealand about three or four years ago. Jumped out of a plane. It was tandem. I didn't get to. So first of all, right there, like you can't jump out of a airplane your first time, not tandem. Uh, yeah, I think you have to, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Most of the places, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they they have a lot of money, so I like I'll forgive that. But also the amount of time they're free falling. So first of all, like you get like thirty seconds of uh, of free fall, maybe like forty if you go up really high. But the more free fall you get, the higher you have to go, and at a certain point. To get that high, you need oxygen. Like, planes yeah. have, like, oxygens uh, to, to get them up there. These guys are free-falling, which I didn't realize. As I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. Like, they can't <sighs> free-fall for that long. But that was also kind of the point of it, is, like, how long they took it until they opened up their chutes. And again, until the third act, I didn't realize how that comes into play. <laughs> but such a great scene. Like, when they're free-falling, like... You're sitting on your couch, you're, and you're just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Because the ex-presidents at this point have already discovered that Johnny Utah is an undercover agent. Some of them want to destroy him. Some of them want to use him. They're in the airplane. There's this, like, um, uh, dare I say, Hitchcockian tension built up where we know what's going on, and they're switching the packs around. You, Who packed my pack? Yeah. Oh, take this one. Take that one. Take this one. And... But it subverts it in this most amazing way where it's the most bonding scene in the entire movie Mm -hmm. that has been steeped in speculation and tension. And you get to the end, they're celebrating, and then we bring him into this van, and then we show it. You're not going to like this. I don't want to do this. It's going to hurt you at first, but you're going to understand. And that right there is brilliant writing. That is brilliant storytelling. Take what you think is going to be the most tense point, build it up like it is, deflate it, and then immediately move into your most tense point. Fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, it's it's jarring almost because yeah, it you know you 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 get the sense that above anything, Bodie just likes opening up Keanu Reeves's eyes. You know, like like Lori Petty said. You know, you got that kamikaze. Look, Johnny, Bodhi could smell it a mile away. And, and, and he, he almost just loves being like a, a mentor to this guy in certain ways. And it, it, I mean, in a sense, you, you know, you get that idea of like the doomed bromance. Yeah. You know, you know, they both care for each other and they both like each other, but they both know, you know, like you said, Patrick Swayze, Bodie knows he's an FBI agent at this point. I you know, the am whole an is. FBI agent. 
know, man, wild. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's uh, it, that that whole like pull. You know, you know, you just you want it to work, but you know it's not. You can't. It's not going to. Um, and yeah, like like you said, there's that whole part where they're jumping and they're everyone's in such good spirits, you know, and and every. Uh, it's, it's so it's so awesome. It's everything you want out of yeah. a friend group, even though they yeah. feel like they've been stabbed in the back. Uh, and this is where it goes into that whole like Messiah complex where he's willing to forgive, but right. not forget. And, you know, there is a price to be paid for this this kind of thing. And the whole time Johnny Utah is fighting the desire to be with this crew and then also to do his job. I mean, isn't that what we all do? Isn't that what we do on a daily basis? Like we're 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 part of these this machine of society, and we want to break out. And when we see those those exits on the freeway, we want to take them, but we keep going straight and whatever it is, maybe turn off for a little bit and go right back on. Um, and that's what I think this movie offers. But I think it's also what the pop culture idea of the beach offers is this off ramp. Mm-hmm to societal norms you like like you know uh forget you know take your cares you know leave your cares at the door kind of thing it's a physical manifestation of of what we want to do but we're not doing for sake of responsibility Mm -hmm. for for Mm -hmm. train for societal training you know oftentimes that's why you know the beach is often where people retire where they can be free there. It's like a beach is a place for like the young and the old, the middle aged go and visit the beach. The young and the old live on the beach. You know, Mm. it seems like a lot of the times, you know, not like maybe a whole bunch of middle aged people in their thirties and forties, uh, are, you know, taking up residence on the beach. It's not, it's not conducive to that lifestyle. It's not conducive to that, Go get them attitude. There is a a laid back culture in beach culture. So I want to talk to you about this, Jay. Uh, for you, what was the first film that introduced you to this idea of the beach bro? Hmm. For lack like of a better a, term, like in a negative way, or no, like no, in just a... like like. The surfer, the surfer guy, the guy, the beach bum, as you said earlier in the podcast. Oh, it'd have to be uh, Jeff Spicoli in in Fast Times at Richmond High. Oh, uh, I don't know if I, I think I saw Fast Times after I'd seen Point Break because Fast Times, obviously, I was uh, too young to see it when it came out. I was born in '84. My parents were like, "Let's go see Fast Times." When like what was that? '86, '87. <laughs> uh, so I saw that later. But yeah, you're right. You were right at the age where Spicoli was the beach. Oh, guy. oh yeah. Oh yeah! <laughs> wow, he really did open up that whole that cliche to the rest whole, of the world because that was California cliche, mm-hmm. but it wasn't mm-hmm. to every. I I can't think of anything else before that. I'm sure there were like hints of that, but nothing so saturated as uh, Spicoli, huh? Maybe something in like a, a Frankie Avalon film somewhere. Yeah, you well, know? that's like the beach blanket bimbos or like the you know yeah. that type of thing. <laughs> Um. Oh, and I just recently watched the the one, and I I was telling you about this the movie called The Lifeguard with uh, 
the old guy from Tombstone and uh, A Star is Born. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. I freaking love this guy. But The Lifeguard, it was a 1970s film, and you, you're going to have to watch mm. it. And also, audience, watch <laughs> The Lifeguards. Um, uh, God, what's his is name? Is it a Criterion? Is it a Criterion? Uh, no, who, who plays the cowboy uh, uh, in uh, Big Lebowski? The cowboy? Yeah. Oh, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott yeah. movie. Young Sam Elliott. He plays a like a middle-aged lifeguard in California. Like, aesthetically, great beach movie. Story-wise, yeah. But, like, <laughs> that was... If if this if we did a, an eight part set, definitely I would say do the lifeguard uh. in this. And I I, uh, I I I love that movie, but I, sometimes I feel like it might just be me. <laughs> if you have those, Dude, if I, you have those kind of movies, I've thought that about several things, and then here you are <laughs> with this. <laughs> That's what this but, podcast you know, is about. It's about us just picking our favorite things that some people like and some people don't like, and talking about them like they're the best things in the world. Yeah, I in fact somebody was talking to me about like, hey, you know, I, I want to come on your podcast. I'm like, well, dude, I'm like, it's it's not that it's not that easy. I, I said because <laughs> we I I don't you know we the the things that we pick we like, and I, I don't know many people that other you know that other people uh, these things other people like. And I said like for example, the next podcast we're gonna be talking about Point Break, and he goes, yeah, I hate that movie. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah well, oh, see, you're not gonna like Strangers go. in Paradise. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think this movie is just is so, and, and okay. Another thing that really works about this movie is so re, after reading a little bit about it, um, not only is is the the whole surf culture thing just seems so authentic, but um, a couple of those dudes are surfers. They're professional surfers. Oh, you mean surfers. like uh, the uh, war child and the shit like that? president No, the, uh, the ex-president guys. Um, I think the guy that plays Nathaniel, the guy that plays Gromit. The guy like who plays Rosie dude. is obviously from like Wayne's World and shit, you know. Uh, <laughs> There's like a, like a roadie from Motorhead or something. Um, but, you know, and, and like the, the Bo, or Patrick Swayze, did a lot of his own stunts. He learned to surf. In fact, he broke ribs surfing. He did a lot of it or not a lot, but he did do uh, some of the skydiving. stuff. I he saw that. This... I was like, there's no way that's a stunt double. Yeah, no, no. Keanu Reeves some... looked like it. Cause it was all close ups a lot, but maybe, Oh yeah. Maybe. Uh... No, yeah, he was, it was, but the, just the way they approached the roles and the, the, the research they did to, to bring this this film together it's it's it worked man it just it was so believable yeah the the movie is there's another scene in there well let's let's talk about let's talk about because we should probably start to wrap this thing up but i do i don't i don't want to give short shrift to two great performances by uh uh laurie petty and um um who's my man Busey. Oh yeah, dude. Who do you want to talk about first? Jesus. Let's talk about Lori Petty, man. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I thought it was she was great. I uh, you know, I I liked the fact that they didn't use some uh, you know, like cliché-looking beach bunny type. Yeah. You know, she was a little bit more like punk rock and athletic. Yeah. Know? But at the yeah. same time you be- you believe that she could catch the wave she was catching. Yeah. Although I will say when like they go surfing together, there's a lot of 
if you look at that montage where they're like falling in love, like on surfboards, it's a lot of floating <laughs> on surfboards. <laughs> it's a lot of close yeah. floating on surfboards. But she she holds that, you know, she holds that aesthetic very well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And like through most of the movie up until she gets kidnapped, she's a pretty strong female character. But they, they take her, of course, in that time to the place where that female character is going to end up being kidnapped. But for a lot of the part, she is have a lot of agency. She's very concerned about like, listen, I will sleep with you, but only if your parents have died in a very hor- horrendous way. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, um, she was just uh, you. You really uh, get you really buy into her her character's strength and her like no nonsense approach to you know him and. It's yeah, she was great. She was really great. And Gary Busey does such a great job because he's pretty much missing from like the second act of this film. But in the first act, he you build so much likability so quickly with Gary Busey that by the time of his death in the third act, you really feel it. And that's a oh, tes- yeah. that's a testament to what he's doing in that first act because second act he's pretty much non-existent. Like at some point he disappears yeah. from the movie. Like we were like, wait, was there another contract obligation here? Uh, because he's <laughs> he's he's so distant from the film, but when he comes back in and he gets gunned down, you're you're sitting there and you're just heartbroken. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's because of again another bromance of how he looks out for Johnny Utah, you know. Um, yeah, and the language they share is like it's all like dicks and like oh look at this dick, uh, curmudgeon dick pole dick liquor you're like oh that's a lot of dick talk (laughs) yeah i i think in a way like gary Busey was another one of those things that you know where where johnny utah when he was an fbi agent was so rigid and and uh what's his face was just so like cavalier about so much you know about his his career like i don't know um but yeah his charisma man gary Busey's charisma is just undeniable uh and the last thing that i want to talk about a couple uh, a couple more things is one of the things that i thought stood out in this movie is the lighting was fantastic it really captured that beach lighting whether it be the bonfire scenes or the the surfing like scenes uh, oftentimes they were sitting on their surfboard but they did a good job of cheating that out where you felt like the aesthetic of coastal living while not like today, it would be like you'd have real surfers studying in there or CGI, those guys surfing. But they did a really good job of hiding that for the most part and showing, getting some of the actors to do a little bit of surfing, getting some surfers in there and showing them surfing. But the lighting on this, it, you're just like, oh, I want to live on the coast. This lighting is amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the floating on the surfboards thing, you also do get the impression where it's like, they had just finished doing their extreme surfing. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. Kinda, you bought like kind of decompressing, you know. And honestly, kinda. that that fits more into the aesthetic of beach living than I like actually more than the athletic act of surfing is to float out on a surfboard coming in. That's why I want to learn how to surf is to like get in the the surf the lineup they call it right. You know, you have to get in the lineup. And then to float on your board and catch a wave and that type of shit. Like just shooting the shit out in the lineup in the ocean. 
to me that is is yeah. the the camaraderie of it yeah exactly um oh i had a question for you and i actually wrote it down when we were watching it i have no idea what that question is so we're gonna look at it together okay um <laughs> it says oh it's not a question it's more of a statement Bode- oh here's here's what i wrote down Bodie. <laughs> After the robbery, before the 50-year-old storm. So, we have the big end robbery take place. And then there's the denouement of, uh, of uh, Johnny Utah and Bodie having it out on the beach during the 50-year storm. It's pouring rain, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you can see that Bodie's changed. Like, he's not afraid to face his death, and I think it's because he's realized what he's done. He's gone past his... The, the whole idea of, of living that lifestyle is you're living on the edge, right? But what are you living on the edge of? He's living on the edge of uh, pushing his life to the extreme, but not so much that it hurts other people. But when he shoots that guy in that mm-hmm. robbery, like, he crosses that line. He crosses that edge. And so Johnny Utah is talking about, like, Oh, this guy was stabbed in in Rosie was stabbed in uh, Mexico, and then I followed you here. Then I almost got you in Fiji. So so time has passed. Jay, here is the 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 script. I want to I want a movie about those months of Bodhi when he has to deal with the consequences of his actions because he went through some shit, man. And like, I want to see yeah. like Bodie, like in like a surfside motel in Mexico with a barrel to his head being like, I'm just going to fucking end this now. Like, how does he decide to end it? And how is he so accepting of his death at the end? Like, I think that would be, I, I don't know who could play a Swayze character, but like that I'm like, Oh, I want, I want those months. Well, you know, there was a, a sequel planned and it got so far as it got into uh, uh, like uh, pre-production, and, but ultimately it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. And yeah, that would be an awesome story of him yeah. just kind of like on the run, you know, living with his consequences, living with his his uh his code being broken, you know, yeah. and the loss of all his friends and his lifestyle and this like utopia that he built for himself and, and his, and his friends and now suddenly gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that'd be dark. So anything else before we wrap up, uh, this, our episode on point break Two two things. Just, I just want to touch yeah. real quick. If I, if I, if I can just do a little, nitpicking uh the soundtrack sucked i hate i was gonna bring that up yeah there was like you would think this movie would have a bomb ass soundtrack and like i was (laughs) it it ends with like rat you know yeah it's awful dude it's so bad and it it had such potential to have this great soundtrack to it and it's it's not good at all no yeah no it's awful and and number two uh, if anybody out there is listening that loves this movie and hasn't seen uh, the remake, don't because and I, I don't want to seem like you know like like all the other people, but it, it's awful in all the ways you think it will be. I've just never by watching seen it. The trailer. I'm not going to see it. I'm not. It looked it's awful. No. Yeah. It, it's it, it's got no, it's got none of the charm, none of the the the, the characters. No, no, it's got none of it. I almost want to do. Oh man, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I'm, we're not committing to this, but you know, we always do a playlist at the end of 
of the thing. Oh, we can't do it. But I want to do like what, what, remake what, what? remake the Point Break soundtrack. <laughs> like scene by scene, like opening scene, opening credit scene. What song will you replace it with? Too much work. Ooh. We're not gonna do it. But like maybe a pet project between the two of us. Maybe maybe uh. here's all we do, Jay. We're gonna do the beach because I want to do like a straight up beach soundtrack. But if we got a wild hair up our ass, uh, one of us can rewatch the movie and be like, "Hey, these scenes. These are the eight scenes. These are the like the the songs in there. What would you replace them with to make that those scenes mm, better? What, or you know, homework assignment for the audience. Like if you're like sitting around thinking about life, make a new Point Break soundtrack. It has to be songs. What was the year? What year did this come out? Ninety one. It has to be songs that were out before nineteen ninety one. Ooh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And speaking of very interesting, we have a lot of interesting podcasts coming up in our beach set. You've heard our talk on Point Break. Next week, we're going to be talking about Dogtown and the Z-Boys, a documentary I haven't seen for a couple of years, so I'm interested in rewatching that. And if you want to keep up with this, go ahead and pop on to Kindle or go on to Amazon and order Alex Garland's The Beach. I have been rereading that. I finished that up this week, so I'm excited to talk to Jay about that. And then uh, start thinking about uh, what are your favorite beach songs? Because in a couple of weeks mm. here, we're going to be asking for those as Jay and I compile our list of beach songs. But until that time, I feel like this is the most apropos of all our uh, our pop bonsai podcasts <laughs> based on our podcast aesthetic is uh, this has been the first set of the beach set. There are three more to come. And until they come, Jay and I will catch you on the next pop wave.